0: Hello, and welcome to the Sound on Sound People and Music Industry podcast with me, Sam Ingalls. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Colin McDowell of McDSP. Welcome, Colin. Thanks for having me, Sam. MacDSP is a name that, if you're a Pro Tools user especially, or any kind of computer user in the music business, you'll have known about for a long time. Because MacDSP were one of the first developers of third-party plugins for Pro Tools TDM that I can remember back in the day. How did you get into that business in the first place?
1: Well, um, like many people who try to make audio products for a living, I'm a terrible musician slash audio person so I you know I always liked music I always liked engineering I thought any way I could figure out to combine them would be great and so I at some point did land a job at DigiDesign and I used to work on plugins and then uh, at some point I just wanted to do it on my own how shall I say it I'm not the best keyboard or guitar player but if you want a plugin that makes a certain sound apparently I have skills to do that I don't have any other skills but um those are the skills I have
0: but I guess back in the day there wasn't much training available for people who wanted to get into plug-in design. How did you learn about it? So
1: my undergraduate degree is in um I, I'm a double E electrical engineering, but my specialty is in signal processing. So I've, I've done a lot of signal processing you know, prior even to doing it for the music industry. So from Pro Tools, which had its you know one of the first sort of plug-in platforms, I learned about that there's a specialized software component you can build. There's a specialized, you know, algorithm to manipulate a signal. I'm like that's me. That's what I can do. This is great. So as I got that job at DigiDesign and I got to work in the um, plugins group, I sort of got to see how the plugins are put together. And then I I just thought, boy, this would be a lot of fun to do it on your own and come up with your own algorithms and things like that. And uh, eventually I got MCDSP started in 1998 and just have been doing it ever since.
0: So in those early days of course you were coding for the DSP chips on TDM cards and then at some point you've moved over to also writing native plugins. How different are the two from your perspective? Firstly
1: I think um, any algorithm development should be a uh, platform agnostic. You should just be coming up with something that you think is fundamentally sounds good and is um, not uh, overly complicated. I think it's a um, Interesting to me, not just in the audio signal processing realm, but in signal processing in general. Most of the best algorithms can really be broken down into very simple components. Um, yeah, maybe there's some math in there somewhere, but ideally, it's like it's it's not convoluted or overly complicated. So that's to start. Then your question is: It like an embedded DSP system or a native system? Those, if you've managed to come up with an algorithm that is um, again straightforward broken down into you know easy to understand components the creation of the algorithm either it's an embedded DSP or a native processor uh, the workload I think is almost equivalent um, if it becomes complicated then you need to back up and look at your algorithm and go what was I thinking when I said hey, six feedback loops into this thing and then we'll just like randomly take an average and that it did no stop timeout cut back so I think they're almost equal embedded systems like TDM or native, the only thing that I think it's different is that in embedded systems you have to define all your memory space, which is just like it's like it's like cleaning your room or your studio, right? If you do it enough, you get really good at it. You know where everything is, you don't lose half your stuff every time you clean up. So managing your memory in an embedded system is kind of like keeping your studio clean. Then conversely in native, you don't have to do that. So then sometimes you get sloppy and do something really dumb. Like, hey, I thought put all my mic cables in a piggy bank on the top drawer in the back room. Isn't that smart? No, we need all the mic cables now. Oh, well, I'll be back. I crammed them onto this piggy bank. I'll have to break it open with this hammer.
0: These are the jokes, people. So this process of coming up with an algorithm for a plugin is that something you do almost on paper or in your head? Or is that something you Do you have tools that help you do that? Well,
1: because I've been doing it for a long time, my wife would say it's all in his head because it's all he talks about. I think a lot of the times it comes down to, yes, in my head or just on paper. A lot of time on paper, it's not like, oh, I wrote down some formulas. Usually it's like some flow diagram, like, oh, the signal is coming in here. It has this problem where I want to get this out of it or make it do the following. Then I might say, well, if I had one of these and one of these, and the initial flow diagrams, um, you know they're like, wow, it's really complicated. Surely there's got to be a better way to do this thing I'm looking at. And then we sort of break it down, and when it's like a decent flow diagram, Then we use tools like MATLAB. I'm mostly a MATLAB fan. I I just like MATLAB. And we use that to maybe like simulate the flow diagram. I can put test signals into it, take test signals out and kind of see, yes, that's what I thought it would do. Or, oh, that's terrible. Well, I'm glad I didn't waste a bunch of weeks making a plugin out of that. Um, But then at some point, hey, that's pretty good. And then we take it and start building up a plugin in the UI. And and I say building up a user interface. I mean, just like something that looks like just totally awful. You know. Hey, look, a green box with just like, you know, knobs from another plugin on it. It's like every, every prototype plugin we make is like, oh, look, I took the background of Filterbank with the knobs from the 6060 input module and I'm just grabbing something just to piece it together and go. But then we just play with it. At the very end, we'll do the, the user interface.
0: I mean, talking about user interface there, how important is the user interface, do you think, in the usability of a plugin?
1: Uh, I, think it's, I think it's as important as the sound. Um, I mean, if if the plugin sounds great, but it's difficult to use, no one's going to know because they won't know how to use it. Conversely, if if the user interface is great, but the plugin sounds like no one's going to like it either. You just have to have both, Um, which I think is good. It's good because it makes people, these days at least, you know, think about what am I making, how the customer use it, what are the important features I want to make sure are readily accessible or discoverable, and some of the more tweaky things. Yeah, if it's not quite right in your face that's okay but the you know more experienced user will discover them and then be able to you know exploit them on um, relatively quickly
0: so is that something when you're coming up with the initial algorithm you already have in mind what controls you want to present to the user i do well, at least these
1: days i do generally um, as i come up with the algorithm i already have the controls in mind because you know the algorithm is supposed to do x and to accomplish x i need a, a threshold and a i don't know sensitivity and a uh, I don't know, something else, you know, and I'll have those in mind as the controls that's going to be, and so it all comes together. And and that's something else. You mentioned about this, the controls, is sometimes you make an algorithm, you go, this is the algorithm, and this is how it's going to sound. Okay, it sounds how I'd like. Great. Here's interface. Great. And someone goes, oh, I'd really like to adjust this. What? Yeah, I'd always like to adjust this part. Well, why? Because when I do this, this, and this, P.S., I'm like, you know, famous mix engineer, film, whatever, you know, TV person. Oh, so you know what you're talking about, and that's a common usage point. I got you. I'll add that control can do then you change it so sometimes there are things like that but it's good to have a, a control set in mind as you go forward with the algorithm
0: and I'm interested in your uh your take on vintage emulation because a lot of the mcdsp plugins are capable of recreating the sound of some vintage units but you never seem to package them in kind of photorealistic vintage guis or anything like that
1: it's true I mean I think you know like with uh our most recent release, we definitely have tried to make some easier interfaces that look kind of real, but they have lots of you know functionality you expect in software. And that's I think kind of our what we're trying to find is our balance point. But as far as like emulating vintage gear, I mean, don't get me wrong, I've spent a lot of time looking at a lot of you know other you know pieces of equipment that people, go, oh, this is the holy grail of EQ or compression or whatever. but I'm not sitting there going, yeah, they use the 1024 586 diode with the resistor bridge, blah blah blah. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to know how does it sound. Why does it sound good? What, does, you know, what are the shapes of curves and things look like? And then just kind of come up with my own way of doing it, which I think is way more fun. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. And I think then that's, um, so I guess, I think if people want to emulate vintage stuff, I think it's great. If they want to make something new, I think it's great. I just like making things that sound good. So I don't really care if it was made yesterday or, you know, 60 years ago. If it has some go, Oh, I love the sound of that. I just want to know Why? Why does it have a good sound? I don't care, like, you know, has it been out of tubes or solid state or I don't know, it's a rat running around in a cage powering the thing. I don't care. I just want to know, why does this sound good? Why does it work for people who make this kind of music or whatever? And I, I just want to know that because I think that's fascinating. I just want the sound. If I get the sound, great. It can look like whatever you want.
0: So in as much as you refer to this vintage gear, it's like it's kind of a black box for you. It's like as long as you get the transfer function in and out, then you don't really care what's going on inside. That's totally it.
1: And in my prior life, career, whatever, yes, black box design is exactly what I specialized in. I didn't really care what was inside of it, and sometimes I didn't know. They just said, yep, just, you know, make it do what that does. Okay, that's kind of creepy, but I'll do it. And so that's what I would do.
0: So how do you think plugins have improved since those early days? I mean, we're talking about well over 20 years of plugin development here. How how have they got better in that time?
1: Um I think they've gotten better because the you know customers' expectation has, um, has, has the, the bar has been raised. You know, I think that, that a lot of people are good at making good quality audio productions. and so they're they're paying attention to like, oh, what does this EQ or compressor sound like? And they really actually kind of know, at least to my mind. And so I think that the game has been upped for everybody, which I think is really good. It just means better products come out and that's fine. You know, computers have gotten a lot faster. So I think people are, are more, I don't want to say it. Earlier in this podcast, I mentioned don't make things overly complicated. But, you know, now you can make some pretty complicated algorithms. So I think that some people are exploring more, I won't say sophisticated, but, you know, eh, okay, more sophisticated ways of, of coming up with a way to process sound that's very useful to the, the end user. I think that's exciting. I, I just, And I think just a... Uh, uh, I think there's enough people doing it now where it's like, oh, like that's like a, a thing people do as opposed to like, as you mentioned when McDSP first started, I'd spend half the time explaining, this is a plugin. It's a separate piece of software that did not come with your DAW. You have to buy it from us. No, we're not DigiDesign or Apple or Steinberg or whatever. Oh yes, McDSP, yes, that's us. Mm-hmm. Yes, back to the point. Okay, so we make a plugin. It's a separate piece of software you have to buy. So that's all done. People go, oh yeah, plugin. I get it. Oh, oh great. Well, fine. So you know that that they you know just like there was an acceptance transition of doing audio production in a computer, there's also like, oh, I understand what a plugin is and why I might want some extra ones that did not come with my DAW that might do some of the same things but differently or have a different sound. So that in that way, it's a very mature market. So plugins can be better.
0: So you were talking about how processor power now means we can have more complicated plugins uh, for good or for bad. One buzz phrase that crops up a lot in terms of that kind of plugin design is machine learning, which a lot of companies claim to be using. Is that something you've explored at all? Yes, we have. Um, I think the only thing that end users see these days
1: is we have a module in the 6060 called Shine, which is just like a high-shelf but like it's a you know linear phase, high shelf, nice sounding EQ. Um, actually, my, my daughter, who was um, is, um, is in college, she's a, studying engineering like her dad, and she said, I want to do some AI, dad. I said, oh, you do, huh? Well, here you go. Train this algorithm to learn what this kind of EQ shape would be and just keep training it until you get something that sounds good. And she's like, yeah, I got this. It's so like at the end of the summer, she's like, you know, it's like months later, she's like, dad, why is it keep you so stupid? I'm like, it's called Artificial Intelligence Kiddo, which she's like, yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me now. Understand, got it. Um, Anyway, Sean also stands for Secretly Helena's Intelligently Networked Equalizer, S-H-I-N-E. Um, so yeah, so we, we have explored stuff with it, um, but mostly it's to just see if we can come up with like different prototypes of things and then just look at it and see what the end result might be and if that's something useful to us, and that's about it. I, I think that the use of AI is great, it's very interesting for, like, you know, trying to train the computer to, like, I don't know, master all your mixes the same way or come up with an intelligent EQ curve to suit a certain application. I think the only thing about AI that I don't like is that usually to have a, a system that's trainable and and smart enough, in quotes, to do those things, it becomes a pretty complicated system. And if at some point in the training process it's trained incorrectly, it's really hard to train something out of an AI. I mean, you can. It's just kind of a weird thing. It's like, you know, teaching someone how to ice skate. If you only teach them how to skate backwards, they'll never skate forwards.
0: Yeah. And one of the classic problems with AI is that thing called the the black box problem where you can you can train an AI to do something, but then you've actually got no idea how it's doing it. So if you want to modify its behavior, what do you do?
1: That is correct. That is, in fact, you know, a huge conundrum, right? You can train your Google, whatever the heck. Oh, it's Tuesday. Sam, don't you need to buy some new microphone stands? You know, the short kind? Because that's what you need, right? Oh, oh. How does it know? And then you go do it, but you know, how does it know? Yeah, uh, nobody even knows. It's there's some parameterization there and stuff, but yeah, it's kind of like ah, uh, I don't know. Yes, you are correct, sir.
0: So, you have been exploring a different technology though, uh, because back in 2019, you introduced a thing called the APB, which stands for Analog Plugin Box, and this is for anyone who's not seen it. It's actually a an analog, a digitally controlled analog device. It looks to your computer like a DSP plug-in board that you load plugins into Pro Tools or Logic or whatever. But in fact, the processing is taking place in the analog domain. It's super clever. Sounds amazing. How did you come up with that idea?
1: Well, like most people with obsessive compulsive disorder, if you think about something long enough, at some point you go, "Wait, we could do this. Really? You think? Ah, what do you know?" You know, what we make, on our, talked about the algorithm, all our plugins have, literally the piece of code is called a brain. And the brain is like, that's what the algorithm does. And, you know, we, we made it so that we could have, you know, the brain can sit in an AU or a VST3 or an AAX plugin, embedded or native, blah, blah, blah. But at some point, someone went, maybe his name was Colin, I'm not sure. Wait a minute, this is like a self-contained piece of code that has inputs and outputs and controls you know, I don't even know what's inside, in theory, so couldn't I just take the guts out of what's in the brain and put it, like, back into analog? I mean, could that work? That would be possibly really cool and really expensive, but why not? So, uh, yeah, we tried some of that, and, and some of it didn't work. I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't work. That doesn't quite translate, but other parts really did, and... Um, then we're like, well, wait, because if, like, you know, imagine, like, that brain piece of code is, like, the same thing. We're just talking to the same thing. We just happen to the guts of the brain are just in an analog board somewhere, you know, maybe a little more complicated than that, you know, sample accurate synchronization and automatable and configurable and yada, yada, yada. But, um, um yeah, I guess that you mentioned vintage gear. People have, like, you know, this religion about, you know, you know vintage versus new digital versus analog and like i sort of tried to state i don't really care what it is i just want something that sounds good and wouldn't it be interesting if you took like here's a compressor we've made before but what if we took it and put it in the analog domain i will choose like you know some of the most expensive parts we can find and just put together a signal path and go how would that sound and at some point we're like wow well, that sounds really good you know to the point where we ate you know, even take like used to have the, like these silver APBs that you're not painted or anything, and they are hot as heck. And we take and people go, "Hey, does this sound good to you? Well, this sounds really good. Can I keep it? No, 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 no. Just a prototype. Nothing to hear. Sunday Andy A. Thanks for coming. See you later." And so, yeah, very long-windedly, um, it just seemed like an interesting project to explore. It turned out really good. I'm very appreciative of the people who taken the time to check it out because I do my completely biased opinion thinks it think it's really cool.
0: So have you worked on analog electronics before, or was this an entirely new development for you?
1: The most analog electronics I've ever done was still when I was in college, which was, you know, okay, I'll admit it, back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, before the internet, and when dinosaurs roamed the earth, yeah. But I like that stuff. i My other hobby, some behind me, not in video, but I I do have a lot of analog synthesizers. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so my sort of knowledge of what is a good-sounding analog device really sort of originated from analog synths. And why wow, an analog synth sometimes is like, wow. And a digital synth is kind of like, eh, mm, it's not quite what I want, but it's cool. What's different about it? Gee. Um, but we did hire a few additional engineers who had a lot of uh, hardware experience. Um, and, uh, and they've done a really good job. And, and they're kind of like me, you know, when I told them the project is basically we're going to make an analog device. It's configurable, controlled in software, and there's basically no budget just make it as cool as possible. Really? There's no, like, I have to skimp on this or that. No, because if we skimp on anything, they're going to just like, you know, crucify us on the internet. So you just, you know, can we use 32 bit converters? Sure can. Can we use gold plated the cap, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I don't care. I mean, whatever, whatever, dude. Yeah. I just, just, so that also was fun for them because it was like a, I don't know. We just, I'm just trying to make the projects fun here sometimes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I guess when you're developing digital plugins, one difference is you don't have any issue with tolerances, component tolerances, for example, in digital. In analog, that must be quite a major concern, I guess.
1: It is. Um, I think that um, we seem to have come up with some ways to mitigate that. Actually, interesting about the tolerances. So the APB itself um, is self-tuning. So when you turn it on, you know, it has a bunch of calibration points all across its you know, analog board and elsewhere. And it's just listening to itself all the time. So if it thinks it needs to, you know, adjust itself, it just does it. Because even when we, when we manufacture them, like the, the, the manufactured right here in Northern California, um, it was funny because the manufacturers like, okay, we see what it is. It looks kind of complicated. How do we test it? Oh, we have this automated application. It'll test all the channels for you. And they're like, oh, really? Yeah, you just click run test and it'll do it. And then at the end, it'll tell you if any of the channels have, like, some tolerance issue and you have to, like, you know, fuss with that. Like, Yes, the answer to answer your question, yeah, the tolerance stuff is difficult, um, but I think we've chosen parts that are very reliable, but the APB units also are, are somewhat self-tuning, um, and
0: it's worked out pretty good. So it's, it's analog, but it's, it's not your granddad's analog? No.
1: I mean, I mean some people say, hey, are there are tubes in there. I'm like, no there, no, there are no tubes in an APB because that would be breakable um, you know, or get really, really, really hot like 16 channels of that i think there's like 124 op amps like in an apb 16 like something like almost dumb where you're like okay oh, well, that's um a lot of heat yeah it is well how do you dissipate that well you know just happened to have a dad who's into this kind of stuff and he has a friend who's into physics and he suggested you know emissivity you can look that up later and just understand what that is and paint the inside a dark color and make sure it has lots of surface area make it a material aluminum that will you know
0: Absorb and dissipate the heat more quickly. It's fun. But talking of tubes, it doesn't have tubes in, but some of the plugins you've made for AVB do emulate tubes.
1: What's, That's right.
0: What's the process of, of emulating analog using analog? How, is, how does that work? How is it different from doing it digitally?
1: It's a new world, I'll tell you that. Sometimes it goes well, and sometimes you'll have the occasional, like, oh, sorry. I have to rip my headphones off because something didn't feedback the way I thought it was supposed to. Um, so the idea is, is that when we have, again, that brain that can do a certain sound, and we said, hey, brain, we're going to make you analog now. Brain says, fine. And then we ask the brain, you know, please, there's this model that we can put into the brain. This You're going to be like a tube-based compressor. And the brain's like, I got you. And then it'll configure the analog system to do that in as much as it can and then we're like, okay, cool. Um, and um, there are, you know, it's not software, we still don't have like a blank slate, but we do have enough configurability in the analog chain that we can come up with a, a lot of sounds. And so we just sort of know what the, those ranges are, and we just try to massage them into, yep, this is about the tube model, or this is kind of a new tube model, because we had to modify this or that. We put it all together, and um, what you get is what you see with the APB plugins we keep coming out with for the, the APB
0: 16 and APB 8. So, when you have, uh, say, a compressor model, as it were, running on the APB, is the whole thing running in the analog domain or is it just the gain reduction element that's analog and, and the side chain detection circuit is digital?
1: Mm, good question. Um, I wouldn't call it the side chain circuit, but I'd call it that when the APB operates, any APB plugin, they're two signals that go down to the APB box. There's the audio, then there's like this control signal, which is like, okay, yep, it might have like a side chain in it, it'll have other things in it too, but they are married together. So the sample accurate control over that converted analog signal, as you go into the box, the control signal goes off and says, hey, we're doing this today, thanks for coming. And then the signal is going through the analog components. You know, maybe there's clearly like, you know, maybe there's like a setup point, like when you instantiate the plugin and we set the configurable analog up. But then after that, the control signal, being married to the audio signal, will just um, do what we want it to do. And it does it in a way that's, you know, uh, not just real time, but, you know, synchronized perfectly. So you come out the other end. There's no like, a, oh, I missed that peak or I didn't catch that. It's all in a line.
0: So, I mean, what can you do with APB that you feel that you, you weren't able to do with, with a conventional digital plug-in?
1: Mm. Um, there is one interesting point to start with is that um, distortion. I know a lot of people get really excited about distortion or saturation or whatever that is. And that's great. Um, and I think it's a good part of what audio production should be. There should be some exploitation of that type of uh, processing element. Um, but in the APB, it's all kind of like built in. It's like, yeah, I'm an analog signal path. I can only go this loud. If you go louder than this... I'm not going to like clip digitally. I'm going to saturate with some like probably pleasing curve that some hardware engineer named Glenn fussed with for a year to say, it's going to look like this. Oh, that looks really good. Check it out in the scope. So it has some of those built-in elements. So when you're making something in it, you can kind of go, huh, what if the user cranked up the makeup gain in the compressor? S- so it wh- doesn't matter. It's going to saturate in some one of three saturation circuits calibrated perfectly to the Analog digital converters so when I get it back in the DAW, they'll just have you know the analog, you know, distortion and none of the whatever digital mayhem that may have occurred. So um you ask me if the difference is. one difference is just that there's this saturation element of the APB circuit that's just kind of built in. Whereas in digital, you're like, oh, I get as loud as I want. You can see other power B, it's like it's like a pen, right? Some people like, I don't know, a ballpoint pen, some people like a felt tip, you know, whatever it is. It's just that oh, it's different. Oh, I like this, oh I hate this. And so it's interesting just to take a different toolset, analog versus software, and go, well, what can we do with this? And then finding, you know, strengths and weaknesses and go, well, these are the strengths. Let's see what we can do with these strengths. And then just, you know, keep pounding that, you know, idea and come up with, you know, new compressors or different types of way to complement a digital equalizer with a custom analog output stage, you know, just those types of things. It's fun.
0: At the moment, all the plugins that are available for APB are fundamentally mostly their compressors. What what can and can't you do with APB? Could you, for instance, extend the concept to mic preamps or, or guitar amps?
1: Ooh, um, mic preamps or guitar amps, um, that is a possibility. Um, I think in the current configuration of the APB, that is designed for line level inputs. So we'd have to have a bit different flavor of some kind of input circuit to do that. But um, don't think that we're not thinking about things just like what you said. So uh,
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, um, so there's that. Um, um, but yeah, but mostly it's you know it's dynamic range control or saturation stuff, um, uh, and and those are sort of the wheelhouses of what the APB design that we've come up with does.
0: I guess one other thing that you could, in theory, do with APB that you can't do with uh, most analog devices is. Uh... Beyond stereo you could go to multi-channel compression if you wanted to is there any call for that if you have you explored that?
1: Uh, yes, there's also this thing called Dolby Atmos apparently it's kind of popular I don't know you know more channels in your brain can keep track of in a mix, but yes um, There are Several clients right now using the APB they use it in their Atmos stuff because they want to have analog but you know configured across many channels to do something And Apparently, um, it it seems to fit that that market uh, well. So, yeah, we actually do have some multi-channel requests.
0: And I guess another obvious use case for it would be mastering, because mastering engineers like analog gear, but they also like complete recall, which is what you get with APB.
1: Yes, um, there definitely is a mastering engineer uh, interest in the product, um, and for exactly the reason you just said, or for most engineers in general, oh, I can recall it wait what it's analog and it's recallable don't forget all the presets and automation and the sample accurate control of all the analog yeah right okay that's um those are all the problems with analog and you solved them all yes we did wait what about delay compensation yeah we solved that too oh i can't hate this thing god dang it i'll have to buy six fine um yeah um yeah recallability is a uh, is huge um in fact actually for my own personal self you know just um a long time ago, maybe when I played in a band or two, we'd go into the studio and I'd, oh, all this equipment is great and we're doing our stuff. And I'd watch somebody patch in some outboard gear for a thing. Oh, all those drums sound great, or whatever. And then I just would panic. So I'd be like, okay, I the electrical engineering student in me is looking at what we've done and I see how it's kind of repeatable, but not really recallable instantly. So, like, if we don't finish this like today, we have today to get this done. Because if we come back, Tomorrow, it might not be exactly the way it is, and I'm not even sure I've kept track of everything that we've just patched together in the right order, even though I'm trying to. And that's, you know, look, the nervous twitch is coming back. You <laughs> can <laughs> see. So um, yeah, uh, recallability is um, that's a good point, Stan.
0: But I guess also, I mean, people love you've chosen to focus on saturation and compression and limiting with APB stands. There are other things that people love in analog too, analog EQ, for example, analog effects and delays. I guess, could, could you apply the same concept in those fields? Uh, yes, you could. Um, and
1: again, no confirming or denying what we might be tinkering with. Um, but we'll see. On the topic of EQ, however, or, or delays, I'll point out these two things with the uh, delay and EQ types of effects in the ATB. First one. On the EQ, any curve that you want from any vintage equalizer, you can pretty much nail in a software model. That's not the what's in question when it comes to the sound, quote-unquote. It's the what was the input stage either prior to, during, or after that EQ curve has been applied to the signal. That is, you know, that's, to me anyway, that is like where the oh, that's why it's different. It's not that I can get the... I don't know, scoop of a pull tech or the shape of a parametric from whatever, it's at some point it goes through something else. There's something else it goes through, right? An analog system that's around that equalizer that has a fixed range, you know, that if you get up too close, it's gonna not clip, it's gonna saturate in some way. What is that system? And so in those ways, the APB is well configured to do that. If someone really, really, really wants to have, you know, the op amps and the feedback loops to do the, the EQ stuff, Yeah, you can do that, but then you get stuck into these fixed topologies where, oh, it's only going to be a parametric, or, oh, it's only going to be a shelf. Then I'm like, yeah, and also you're going to use up so many op amps on one channel, if you put, like, you know, eight of those together side by side, that's going to be like the sun. So, mm, I'm not sure. Still thinking about it, though. Um, The delay line stuff, um, you have stuff like, you know, your bucket grade, analog delay, or things like that. That's interesting. But also even just if you have like a delay, and imagine though, know, what is it about the analog delay you like? Well, there's like the delay time part, and that's sort of the slew of the delay time being longer or shorter. Okay, we can kind of approximate those, I think, in, in digital, you know, pretty well. But again, it comes back to what is the output stage? What happens in that feedback loop? Where in that system is the part where the analog component goes? Ah, this is my jam. I'm stepping in, boom, <laughs> and oh, uh, yeah. So like maybe like in the feedback loop of a delay line. Oh. if it went through analog it actually would be really cool yeah so if i cranked up the feedback and now the delay was going you know bonkers but it kept going through an analog system as it fed back and went bonkers that might be really cool not that i would know anything about the delay for the apb
0: that would have such a circuit so for you what people love about analog eq and delays and so on is generally the the analoginess pretty much all comes from saturation, and that's what you need something like the APB to do. You can actually emulate the other parts digitally, and it's fine.
1: I, and that, yes, that's that's what I believe. And not everyone has to agree with me, and that's okay. I mean, I think that you know we're just exploring something that's kind of new and different, and it's fun. And people that like it, knock yourself out. But yes, that is my. Reasonably strong belief because I've invested a lot of time, money, and MCDSP like, is self-funded, folks. Yes, so um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 a fascinating way to apply or combine analog and, and digital processing, kind of a hybrid system. Um, the configurability of the analog system we've come up with is, I think, is really exceeded my expectations. I'm very pleased with it, um, and uh, yeah, we're just going to keep making more
0: stuff. That sounds like a good mission statement. Well, we've had a few hints then about what might be coming down the line. Any, any any further things you can tell us about the future? What's 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 coming? I think that right now we're still rounding out some of the like
1: bread and butter functionality for the APB. You know, we, I think we got a good pile of compressors, a couple of limiters. We have one equalizer. I'd like to add a few more of those because that first one um, the Royal Q it turned out really good. So that was very exciting to work on, and um, so we'd like to do a few more. I've, bread-and-butter tools like that. And then from there, yeah, we will go into a little more of the exploratory, like the, hey, how about like a delay system that has the, you know, analog feedback path and things like that. Um, some people have asked us about transient designers, which I don't think is unreasonable. It's haven't quite had time to experiment with that. Also, on what's coming next to the APB, maybe you've heard um, COVID, climate change. Oh, also um global supply chain, crazy issues. So I, I'll... I will certainly say to anyone who asks yes, of course we've been affected by that. Because I hoard gear, like for you know a hobby, I've also been good at very good at hoarding parts for the APB. You know, but we we've been sold out since October of 2021. And uh we're still back ordered, but um, we have more on the way. So I think some people say, hey, what's the holdup? I'm like, well, you know, when you say I want the best 32-bit, you know, converters on the planet, well, you sometimes you get to wait for them. Some developments with APB have not been as quick as I would like. And some of that I would put a little bit of blame on the global supply chain stuff, which is annoying. But also, um, if you haven't heard, uh, Apple came out with a new hardware paradigm. Right about the time we shipped the APB, hey, the M1, it's going to be great. Whole new hardware processor, you'll love it. Uh, okay. So in the immediate future, at MacDASB, um, we'll be releasing uh, native M1 support for the APB plugins, um, which is, I think, kind of cool. Um And was some work. Uh, And then after that, I think we'll get back into the wheelhouse of making more APB plugins that will round out the feature set of what I think should be delivered with a purchase of an APB unit.
0: Awesome. Well, if you've put down your deposit and you're waiting for an APB to arrive, I can promise you it's worth the wait. It really is a stunning achievement. Thanks, Sam. Meantime, thanks very much to our guest today, Colin McDowell. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Sound on Sound People and Music Industry podcast with me, Sam Engels. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out the show notes page for this episode, where you'll find further information along with web links and details of all the other episodes. And just before you go, let me point you to the soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts website page, where you can explore what's playing on our other channels.